This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. Happy New Year. With a new year comes New Year's resolutions. A recent poll found weight loss and improved diet rank in the top five when it comes to resolutions. And for many of us, the beginning of the year is the perfect time to start anew. A new diet plan, a new workout plan, and all around healthier habits. But sometimes that means latching on to so-called fad diets, which may be too restrictive and just not sustainable. However, there are some that do work. We'll get into the best ones and the biggest mistakes many of us make when it comes to healthy eating. It's all straight ahead on Prescription for Life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Monica Robbins. From intermittent fasting to the DASH diet, there are so many so-called fad diets out there. They're extremely popular for losing weight, but many doctors will tell you to avoid them altogether. Here's why. So a fad diet is a diet that is making quick promises for short-term results. That's gonna be a diet that is going to have you cutting out maybe a, a whole a food group, cutting out specific items um, in your diet, and um, is usually not a, a diet that your doctor would recommend. Take a look at what else I found about fad diets that used to work for you, but no longer produce results. It seems like every week there's a new diet to try. The problem is there's no one size fits all. Much depends on your gender, your life stage, your metabolism, and if you have underlying issues that roadblock weight loss. But why won't that surefire diet work anymore? Our body has memory of previous diet attempts. So when we're 20 and we do, you know, the grapefruit diet or whatever it is for three days because we want to fit into a dress, no problem. And then we go back to it maybe a year or two later and it's not as su successful. It's because your body remembers and says, how dare you try to starve me and I'll, I'll show you. The older you get, the slower your metabolism, the harder it is to shed weight. Even if you're exercising like crazy and eating like a bird, that's when you should see a healthcare professional for an assessment and some diet. Diet guidance. Another helpful hint is get your blood sugar under control. Skip the sugary snacks and junk food and eat small meals every two to three hours. Those meals should be full of fiber from whole grains, vegetables, and lean protein. When you restrict your calories, you get so hungry by the time you're allowed to eat that you eat too much or you eat too fast or what you eat is not going to be the greatest. I mean, we don't make good choices when we're hungry. Now we turn to a registered dietitian with Cleveland Clinic to help us break down everything we need to know and get us on the road to healthy eating. Joining me now is Julia Zapano, a registered dietitian with Cleveland Clinic. We're talking about fad diets. Okay, what in your prediction is going to be the hot new trend in 2024? Oh, it's so hard to say. There are so many. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of new fads. Uh, you know, the intermittent fasting is a big one. Um, it was big last year. It's kind of carrying over again this year. Um, the raw food diet is another big one that's coming out. So, you know, I think just being mindful of new fads and just being aware of, you know, what they're trying to promote and that they are really just fads. Are there any that actually concern you? Well, the raw food diet is concerning because you 
could consume undercooked meat and dairy and um, animal products in general, which could lead to foodborne illness. So that is definitely a concern. So you re really want to be cautious if you're, you're you know, experimenting with some of these different fad diets. So year after year for decades, the Mediterranean diet keeps coming in as number one for the healthiest diet, if you will. Mm -hmm. But there are so many others that I want to go through a few. Um, what is the volumetrics diet? Volumetrics is based on low calorie, high dense, nutrient dense foods. So they're very water-based, liquid-based. So the point is it's supposed to have a lot of volume, but not a lot of calories. So we'll fill you up. So a lot of you know, leafy greens and vegetables and broths are a part of the, the main foundation of the Volumetrics diet. And then there's different stages or different classes of categories of foods that you eat more and a little less and a little less to the end of, of course, what we all consider unhealthy is the highly sugary and processed foods that have a lot of calories and a very small volume, even things like fats and oils. Is that possible, though, that somebody may not be getting enough calories on a diet like that? It could be. That's always a possibility with some of these fad diets because they tend to be overly restricted. Now, you know, that's a risk if you follow it long-term. If you're following it for a week or two, it's not necessarily gonna be detrimental to your long-term health. But if it's something you're planning on following long-term, it's definitely something to be addressed. You really wanna make sure you're getting enough nutrients. And, and calories will kind of come when you make sure you're, all your nutrient needs are met. So I like to focus more on nutrition versus calorie intake um, and really focusing on where those calories are coming from versus you know, how many calories something may have. What's the Pritikin diet? Pritikin is a whole foods based diet. Again, very clean eating, minimizes animal products to one small serving a day, limits things like egg yolks, so it just gets egg whites. So it's mainly more like low cholesterol, low animal fat, high plant food diet, but doesn't necessarily avoid those foods, just puts limits on it. What about the DASH diet? DASH diet stands for Dietary Approach to Stop Hypertension. It was designed to lower blood pressure it's very high plant food-based diet, includes a lot of dairy, two to three servings a day, minimizes protein intake three to six ounces a day, limits fats, so really high, in, uh, it's pretty high in carbohydrates. There's combinations of diets all over the place, like the MIND diet, mm -hmm. I, I would think that is, you know, training your mind not to eat emotionally, but there's actually something to it. What is that one? It is designed more for de decreasing um, mental disorders or like dementia, Alzheimer's, a lot of those um, age degenerative disorders that you know really do take over our mind. So it's really to support healthy aging and brain health. And it combines the Mediterranean and the DASH diet together. So it, it's kind of a, a mix between the two. So I think for a lot of people, myself included, one of the things that's really difficult to say is if I'm supposed to eat 1,400 calories, mm -hmm. what does that look like for an entire day? Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example? Yeah, so it's, it's really based on the person. So 1,400 calories is just a value. You have your macronutrients that go into those 1,400 calories, and that's where it gets confusing. So do you want a majority of your um, calories to come from carbohydrates, proteins, or fats, or a perfect combination of the three? 
you know, certain diets like the keto diet is very restrictive in carbohydrates. You're only having 5% of your calories from carbohydrates. And then there's certain like vegetarian diets or Mediterranean diets that might be closer to like a 40, 45, maybe even 50% of your calories from carb. So it, it really depends on the macronutrient composition of what's making up those 1400 calories as to what the diet might look like. So, so how do you know what macro, like what your macro should be? So, you know, meeting with a registered dietitian is probably the best way to go. So if I would meet with a client or a patient, I would go through um, a diet history, I would go through an activity level, you know, kind of what foods they favor, what foods they like, what foods they're not willing to give up, what foods they're okay with giving up, or what foods don't serve their body well. So I would take all that in consideration and then use something called the resting metabolic rate to determine kind of a, a rest point for calories and then an activity factor to add on to that to see then where total calorie intake should be. And I take all of those, all that information into in hand and then I personalize how much carb, protein, and fat they should have based on all that information. So there so, are, what you're saying then is there are some people who should have like really high amounts of protein mm -hmm. and very few carbs and maybe is there for fat because we've always heard fat is just you know mm -hmm. watch your fat intake is there a don't go over number like 30 percent don't go over that or I mean the Mediterranean diet has 35 percent so I would say I mean the keto diet is up most close to you know 80 75 80 percent of your calories from fat so you know, for general health, I would say 35, 40% of your calories from fat would be kind of a max level. Um, you wanna look at cardiovascular risk factors when you're looking at how much fat you give a, a patient or a person, um, because again, that can affect your heart health. Things like fatty liver, we wanna reduce fat. So there's a lot of you know reasonings what we may wanna reduce fat, same with reasons we may wanna reduce protein and may wanna reduce carbs. So. It's really should be more of an individualized plan and because that is the most sustainable plan long term, you're taking everything into account of controlling that plan. You're taking your food likes and dislikes, what doesn't serve your body, your activity level, you know, what your needs, personal needs would be based on your medical history, your lab values, what your health goals are. And then you're creating a plan that's specific to you which makes it much more manageable and much more attainable and sustainable long-term. And this is why you really need to know your numbers because as mm -hmm. I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm hearing, oh, okay, so somebody with high cholesterol, you need to cut the fat, fatty liver disease, or somebody who's overweight, you need to cut the fat, that sort of thing. Right. Everybody's, everybody's pitching plant-based diet. Is that for everyone really just the way to go? So I think if you can increase your plant-based foods, that's definitely the way to go. So we know that there's a lot of positive benefits to eating whole plant-based foods, and that should be the foundation of any diet. Of course, the, how much protein you eat, how much dairy and fat can kind of be inf infiltrated within that, but we know one thing for sure is that your diet should be full of plant-based whole foods that are a variety of different colors, and you, you 
add a lot of diversity to that diet. Sometimes though it's hard to find really good fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. in some neighborhoods or this time of year, it's never easy. What about frozen? What about canned? Mm -hmm. Can I do those as well? I do, I do endorse those, um, especially the frozen, because I think they're great. Sometimes the quality or the freshness is just as good because they're sometimes picked and then flash frozen, quickly frozen. So you have a lot of still nutrient retention where some of the grocery, uh, at the grocery store, some of that produce might be sitting there for weeks. So it's, it's important to keep that in mind. I think frozen is a great option. Canned is also a nice option, but I caution with um, some people who may struggle with high blood pressure or have heart failure because too much sodium could not be good for them. Now, if you're following a whole foods diet and most of your sodium is just coming from some canned foods here and there, you're typically fine. Um, it's just the other foods you might be adding to that. So usually I endorse fruits and vegetables and whole foods first and foremost, even if they're canned and frozen and we cut sodium and fat and other things from other foods that we could, you know, be giving away anyway, like processed foods. That, speaking of, so mm -hmm. when you're talking about a whole foods diet, mm -hmm. nothing comes out of a box, pretty much. I mean, in, in some way, I mean, you can still have, you know, maybe some lentils that come in a box or some whole wheat pasta that comes in a box or brown rice that comes in a box, that's okay. But when we look at whole foods, they really only have a couple ingredients, one or two ideally one ingredient, you know, so you're really minimizing a laundry list of ingredients and things we didn't, can't pronounce or we don't know, we don't understand, things like food dyes and um, artificial flavorings and unhealthy added fats. Those are the things we're trying to really avoid. So focusing on a whole food, things like fruits and vegetables and, and grains and beans, and even meat is a whole food. It just has one ingredient. It's the processed meats that get us into trouble. So, uh, you know, everybody's gonna start their diet, you know, we'll say January 2nd after, mm -hmm. after New Year's Day. Um, from your perspective, the biggest mistake everybody makes, what is it? I think being too restrictive because it leads to like early failure and then you, you know, you may get disappointed. I didn't meet my goals. This is my new year's resolution. Why can't I do it? It's just the kind of cycles in this negative self-talk too. I think setting maybe one really positive, realistic goal for your, for your diet. But I also want to take the word diet away, maybe just for your health. Like maybe my goal is to reduce red meat this year. And that goal looks like six ounces of red meat a week or three ounces of red meat, whatever you think is realistic and enough to restrict and make positive outcome. Or maybe it's to drink more water. So you set a measurable goal. I'm gonna drink 64 fluid ounces of water every day and this is how I'm gonna measure it. So I think setting one health goal when it comes to eating is, is really very powerful. And then once you meet that goal, maybe then adding another one and then adding another one as you move on. Instead of following this overly restricted plan from the get-go that is not sustainable and then may just lead to disappointment and lack of success over time. You may initially lose weight, but really what our goal is to sustain that weight loss and just be more healthy. It, it's not really about the weight. It's about gaining positive health, really. How important is food journaling? 
I think food, food journaling is great. Um, I think it creates accountability on a daily basis. I think it's a great opportunity to write down how foods serve your body, because I think there's a lot of times we might eat foods and overlook that you don't feel very good after you eat that food. And if that's the case, those foods probably don't serve your body very well. So we may wanna eliminate them for a little bit and then you'll feel better. So I think that food journaling works great from, not only from a, you know, a, a nutrient composition standpoint, like am I getting all my you know, macronutrients? Am, am, are my meals balanced? Am I giving variety? Because you can kind of look back and see. But also from an accountability standpoint, you know, if you're writing it down, you're writing those five cookies you ate down, you might be less likely to eat five if you're creating this accountability just by journaling. If you are um, starting a somewhat, every diet, if you will, is going to be somewhat restrictive, mm -hmm. you're gonna have to give some things up. So, um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on, you know, using apps or is it better to write it down? I think that's um, a case-by-case case answer. So if you know yourself and you know like you're always on your phone and it's just super easy for you to take a picture of you know the, the barcode and it automatically scans into your diet history, you know, that may just be more convenient for you. Um, I'm a fan of writing things down and journaling, but I think it, I always offer both options to all my patients and I think just finding out what works best for you. What you're gonna stick to, what you're gonna consistently do is really key. And even if, and that's another thing, you, you wanna give yourself grace. You didn't journal one day, it's okay, just journal the next day. You went to a party and ate more than you should have or ate something you shouldn't have, that's okay. Just move on to the next day. I mean, every day is a new day. You can start new every day. And um, we have an all or nothing mentality. And I, I don't really like that around food because food is um, a, a foundation to so many things. We can't just eliminate eating. I mean, we eat with people for joy, for pleasure, for holidays, for company, for, you know, we go out to eat for socialization. So there's so much involved in it. And you have to give yourself a little bit of grace. That's why it's important to find a plan that's really gonna work for you long-term. Ozempic became a uh, household word this year and we've seen so many celebrities use it, lose weight. Um, if for those people who are, you know, tried and failed diet after diet after diet, is, are these weight loss medications something they should seriously consider or do you have pause before recommending those? I, I do think it's worth a discussion with your healthcare provider. Um, I think it's worth a discussion looking at the risks and the benefits, looking at your personal medical history, what medications you're on, lab values, what your real health goals are. So I think it's worth a discussion if you're really kind of at your wit's end and you've tried everything. Um, so I, I don't discount them. I just, I do wanna you know, preface that they do need to be paired along with healthy eating habits. So you really, it's, it's not just one or the other, it really should always be looked at as both. Well, and that's, that's you know, from my understanding for people who are using them strictly for weight loss, they just make them lose their appetite so mm -hmm. they're not eating at all. Right. What happens when you don't eat 
regularly or at least get the nutrients you need. Right, so we, I mean, we can put ourselves at risk for nutrient deficiencies, you know, so our body is sustained by what we eat and the nutrition that we feed it. So, you know, you might see your hair falling out, your nails breaking, you know, to the worst part of like your vision could go, you know, bad. You could have issues with your teeth or your skin, you know, so over time you could have a lot more um, fatigue. That's a, a big one when you're, you know, like for iron deficiency. So there's a lot of, you know, negative side effects to not getting enough nutrition. So that's why it's really important to have an understanding of like what your health goals are and who is going to support you in meeting those health goals. Because you do, you will need support. You'll need a physician and ideally um, a dietitian or nutritionist that can help you meet all your nutrient needs given that your appetite is so suppressed. Top three tips you would give people who are gonna, gonna go that route no matter what, they're gonna try that fad diet that their friends are using or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, top three things for 2024 you want people to remember. So number one would be focus on what makes you happy. So I think a lot of times we focus on restriction and that may make us upset or irritated or you know even um, just, just not having a good positive attitude around your health. So I always try to think about what, what diet or fad could at least make you happy. Does it include foods you enjoy? Um, is, are you gonna get excited about making new recipes and changing healthy habits for your family? So that would be one thing, kind of setting the bar to enjoy eating and having a good experience with um, your, your eating and diet, dietary habits. Um, number two would be picking something that's not too restrictive. So ideally may have some science-backed research. So if you can, ideally picking something science-based. Um, again, a lot of reasons for that. It's ideally gonna help support overall health outcomes. And then number three, I think this would be a great, is do it with a buddy or a friend because then you can support each other and um, make each other accountable. And then also, you know, be able to have some grace there because sometimes when you're doing it with a friend, you realize we're not, none of us are perfect and we may slip up a little bit, but just, you know, keeping you on track and um, helping with that way. And then it helps build relationships, you know, which I think in this day and age um, can go by the wayside. So really being able to build relationships. And if you cut one thing, refined sugar? I would say definitely cutting out sugar. There's no nutritional value really in sugar. So you're best off cutting refined sugars, processed sugars, and then processed oils too. That's the first goal for the first week of January then, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Julie, thank you so much. As thank always, you. great, great advice. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode of Prescription for Life. Thank you so much for watching. We'll be back next week with another dose of healthy information. Until then, I'm Monica Robbins wishing you and yours good health. Thank you so much for tuning into Health Yeah. Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Find video podcasts at Monica Robbins channel on YouTube. And please subscribe. Wishing you great health and hope to see you again soon. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah! with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.